Today is Speedo Sunday at Tybee Island. I know, I know, the very thought of this is distracting. Don't know what a Speedo is, better not to Google it. Some will say harmless fun, and others may say the work of the devil and on the Lord's day yet. Okay. So take a deep breath and clear that thought from your mind. <laughs> so I'm wondering to myself, when I read this in a little circular just a few days ago, I'm wondering who came up with this idea and why? Is this what they talk about in the city council of Tybee Island? How does this evolve? This summer sermon has given us a chance over this series to reflect on the Lord's Prayer. It is beautiful, don't you agree with me? In its simplicity and also its insight to the human condition. It is filled with divinity. And why would it not be? Because the one who spoke it first is Jesus our Christ and his words are epic phrases our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread Forgive us as we forgive. These thoughts from the very heart of God shared with the disciples. And today our focus is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It may be that some of you will remember that Pope Francis addressed this particular line in the Lord's Prayer just over a year and a half ago. In fact, he made the headlines, not just the news, but he made the headlines because Pope Francis had suggested that the wording should be changed. Well, you know how that is with something as important as the Lord's Prayer, right? He suggested that the wording is better translated do not let us fall into temptation. And you're thinking to yourselves, well, that's a very small nuance of a change. Oh, but it's foundational. For Pope Francis, it was foundational because it had to do in his mind with who is responsible for doing the tempting, who is responsible for leading us or not leading us into temptation. And he was straightforward with this. He said that God doesn't tempt us to stray. This, of course, we know is the work of Satan, his adversary, who is best known as the deceiver. Now, St. Francis, or Pope Francis, I should say, Pope Francis is in good company because in taking issue with this statement, he joins the ranks of those St. Ambrose and St. Augustine himself who questioned the nature of pointing the accusing 
finger at God as if God is the one that does the tempting of humanity. This skirts around the issues of how and where does evil enter the world. But you know as well as I that God is not the one that's trying to persuade us in any way, shape, or form to do something that is wrong. You know this, don't you? This is the nature of God to draw us unto himself and to do all in his power to elicit from us a response that will keep us in his embrace, not shoo us away and laugh when things might turn out for the worse. You and I find that kind of behavior in the one whom we call the deceiver. Of course, the quintessential story with all of this is found in Genesis chapter 3, where God has taken from the very earth the ingredients that make for a man and a woman. Adam and Eve are given this, this wonderful place in which to abide. And there in the Garden of Eden, which they are making their home, gifted that by God, there but be one rule that is made clear to them. It says here that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded him, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now it happens that the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say you should not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it. I think she added that part there, don't you? I don't think God said that to begin with, but she knew how dangerous temptation perhaps was because if we draw close to it, you and I have such frail character as to give in to it. And she said that God had said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now you know this story and how God lumbers through the garden looking for them, and God calls out, 
particularly to Adam, and he says, where are you? And the story goes on to say that Adam answered, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God's question was, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, as men are prone to, the woman, <laughs> the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, as women are like to say, the serpent tricked me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go. What a powerful story it is because it not only reminds us of Adam and Eve, it reminds us of our very nature. In fact, this is the whole reason for the story. But it makes clear to me one thing, and that is that God is not the tempter. We get it wrong if we pray the words of this prayer and somehow we think that God is the one that might tempt us and Jesus is the one that is praying for us not to be tempted. We've got it all confused. Because there is but one tempter. And his name is Satan, the great deceiver. You and I know that God is good. He is merciful. He is loving. He wishes to express his very heart and give himself to us. He does not tempt. In fact, there is a response that I bet many of you will know. And that you've said before. I can start it out and you'll know what to say next. God is good. All the time. time. You've heard that before. Said thousands of times, I'm sure. I love remembering what uh, years ago our bishop at the time, Michael Watson, said after returning from a trip to Uganda. He said there in Uganda, he said, it made me wonder whether they came up with it or whether we came up with that. He said, I have no idea, but I can tell you that when they say it in Uganda, they say it differently than we say it here because in Uganda, they say God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And then the children will shout out at the top of their lungs, for that is his nature. Whee! <laughs> Who is God? God is good. This is his very nature. This is why you and I are gathered in this sanctuary, this place of holiness. Not to consider that he might be mischievous, that he has something up his sleeve that he's holding out from us, but that he is good to his very core. Good to his core. So why would Jesus even bring this up? Why would Jesus bring this up in this prayer? Don't you know that it is because he knows us even better than we know ourselves. He knows us. He knows how easily we are deceived 
by others and by ourselves when it comes to temptation. Jesus had this ongoing banter with the Pharisees. They were at odds with him. He did not wish it so, but because of the way in which they thought and the way in which they acted, he was constantly, over the course of his ministry, calling them to attention and calling him to understand God's grace in a different way. Near the end of his ministry, he began to speak directly to the Pharisees. One of the statements is very revealing. He says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup of the, and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside also may become clean. You see, it's not the case that we are coerced. God certainly would never coerce us into doing that which was wrong just in order to make a point. In fact, Satan is limited. He is the tempter. He is the tempter. But he cannot coerce us into doing what is wrong. You and I, by the grace of God, get to make the decisions on that. And this is both the blessing and the curse of being a person of faith because you and I give in to temptation when we should not. But we are not coerced beyond our ability to choose. This is a wrestling within ourselves that is going on from the moment of our birth to the moment of our death. You know this all too well. You've got your PhD in temptation. Every soul that is in this room understands it because you are human. You remember the story of Joseph, this one who was favored by his father Jacob, and how jealous his brothers were of that attention. Already they had given way to the temptation to be envious of that attention. When it all came to a point where they didn't want Joseph around anymore, they had to be persuaded not to put him to death in the wilderness. They sold him as a slave and thought they were done with him. Can you imagine how that began to work on their hearts and their souls after they realized what they had done? It was only then that they came as penitent people to their brother later when they found him in Egypt, not even being able to see who he was. And Joseph, with the heart of God, looked at them and said, You're forgiven. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You remember the story of King David. How he sat in his tower looking out over his realm. The troops were busy 
preparing for battle. They were at a distance. And who knows how long it had gone on. For he had found just the right place to be in order that he could spy on a woman who was bathing on her roof unbeknownst to, the, to herself or those who were her aides. And David watched and watched until he gave in completely to temptation. And you know the story of he and Bathsheba. Do you remember that Jesus himself was led into the wilderness. In fact, just before he began his ministry, it says here, as recorded in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, get this, he was led up by the Spirit. He was not tempted by the Spirit, but he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. As God leads us into our own wildernesses, it goes on to say, that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. None other than Satan the deceiver himself. And you remember it was tempting with particular things that defined who Jesus was and what he was about. You've got an appetite, Jesus. You've got an appetite like any of us. But you're God's son. How about you turn these stones into bread. You can do it. You can satisfy any way. Any appetite that you might have. Satisfy that appetite. Jesus rebuffed Satan. And Satan went on to his next challenge. He took Jesus to the top of the temple. And said, you know Jesus. What a spectacle it might be. But how famous you would be. Throw yourself off this temple. You know you won't hit the ground. Before you reach it, there will be hundreds of angels that will come to your rescue. He went on to speak to Jesus when Jesus would not respond to that temptation. And he said, all of this, Jesus, look as far as you can see. All of these nations, I will give to you if you will bow to me. And of course, we know Jesus' response. That he sent Jesus, he sent, he sent Satan just like the serpent on his way. Jesus was tempted as you and I are tempted. You and I, as we come through life We'll encounter many, many situations in which we feel that we must deal with this terrible matter of certain things that no one has surely ever dealt with before. But it is not God that is doing the tempting. For you remember the statement that John records, God loves us and wishes for us to have life and to have it more abundantly. Some of us work on this matter by trying to keep in our minds what are the seven deadly sins? Lust, gluttony, 
greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and maybe the one that's the worst of all here, pride. This claims us, our ego. But as I reflect on this, wouldn't you agree with me that all sin has a deadly nature? In fact, anything that we do, however minor we might feel that it is, it takes its toll on us. We should never joke about temptation as if it is not significant. All of life can chip away at the essence of what God has sought to put there. If you haven't realized that this is the 50th anniversary of the moonwalk, you have been living on another planet. It has been in the news, and it has been fascinating to hear all that has been shared. Um, those stories about the preparations um, for the launch, um, and then the launch of Apollo 11. It's, it was fascinating. Sue told me, I did not realize this until a couple of days ago. Sue was sharing with me that she was in, Savannah, in Florida visiting relatives when Apollo 11 was launched. She saw that. And... Can you imagine the excitement that as this great rocket rose into the sky, all of those who were able to see it felt as they looked in expectation of these astronauts that were headed to that far off place that we look at in the evening sky. It's interesting, these stories that we hear. The most fascinating, I suppose, to me that uh, shines with the presence of God is that Buzz Aldrin was given by his pastor a small chalice to take with him. He packed it in his luggage. And he also took one of these little packets with grape juice and a wafer on the top of it. I don't know if you've seen those before. But when he got to the surface of the moon, very intentionally, he had talked with NASA about this, knowing that this was a global mission of sorts, even though they planted the American flag there. You, you can sort of get the idea of how global it was. This is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It was a global thing. And so not to simply corner the religious market on that, they went into radio blackout at the time that Buzz Aldrin said that he was going to take communion when he got onto the surface of the planet. And he opened, he opened it, and he poured the juice into the little chalice and he ate the wafer and he drank the cup. That's a powerful thing to think of his having done as he read the words from Scripture, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whosoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I treasure the fact that that happened. I absolutely treasure the fact that he did that. But not all the stories about this mission are so great. I was listening to NPR just a couple of days ago, and there was an interview with a man whose name is Ed Dwight. I didn't know who he was. I should know, I suppose. But Ed Dwight is this remarkable sculptor. In fact, he, he takes bronze and he casts 
these images. Particularly, he has been drawn to mold these images of civil rights leaders that he has such deep respect for across the years. And he's done Rosa Parks, he's done Martin Luther King Jr., and a host of others. He also loves American jazz, and he's done American jazz artists with his beautiful hands molding these, these beautiful pieces of art into what they are. But, but the reason that NPR was interviewing him was not so much because for the past 40 years he has been an artist, but because before that he was an astronaut wannabe. He had entered the Air Force as a young man and had become a test pilot. He was just phenomenal in what he was able to do. He wasn't the best pilot, test pilot there ever was, but word reached finally the White House at the opportunity of this young black man who was at the Air Force. And when word reached the White House, John F. Kennedy made it so that he was transferred into those who were in training to become astronauts. You can imagine that happening in the 1960s, right? And what that would mean had he been chosen at that time. He went to school days on end, surrounded by all of these others that were hoping to be astronauts. Months went by. He was in training along with all of them. He was sharing in that interview that at the end of one of the class sessions, that his instructor called him forward. Everyone else was exiting the room. And when the room was quiet, his instructor looked Ed Dwight in the eye and he said, I know you're hoping to be an astronaut. And he said, he said, if, if you were selected, I wanted to tell you what's going to happen. Because if you were selected as an astronaut, we will leave you in space. We will leave you in space. Racism is a grave temptation even to this day. It is something that plagues not simply individuals, but it plagues all of us. Have you noticed that this prayer is filled with plural pronouns? It begins with the word our. In fact, my favorite name for this prayer is one that the Catholic Church uses. They call it the Our Father. It is a prayer for community. Forgive me. No, forgive us. Give me? No, give us. Lead me? No, lead us not into temptation. Why did Jesus pray this? Because he wished to send us a message that this is a shared experience. This is not something that we are in as individuals. This is something that we share together, which changes everything. 
for someone who has a PhD in temptation, as each of us do, how could we ever be judgmental towards someone who gives in? For we've been there ourselves. This is a prayer in which Jesus is emphasizing again, judge not that you be not judged. For all of us know what it is to be tempted. God save us from the temptation to judge others. We are in this together just as the disciples around the table were in it together. God help us, all of us, those who are here, those who are not here, those that you will send our way, those who are close by, those who are a part of you, and those who have not discovered you yet. This is a prayer for all of us as we daily deal with the temptation of the deceiver to get us to stray from God. It is on those days in which we have communion that we share together in this prayer in the midst of the liturgy. And we always begin that with the words, would you take the hand of someone near you as we share together in the prayer that the, our Lord has taught us to pray. Um, in fact, that very act is something that I have borrowed from the Episcopal Church in which I learned it. And I love the idea of connecting. And so we are going to conclude this sermon with saying the prayer. But the first thing is I want you to reach out and take the hand of someone near you. And if you need to move in order that you can connect with somebody, then move closer. As we share together in this prayer, let us do so, praying it slowly and deliberately. Let us know what we are saying. And let us pray it as a community. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.